you know, live where you want to live, but invest where the numbers make sense. Could be different for everybody because different markets produce different results. Figuring out what you want investing to do for you and then matching that with the market is, is super important versus just buying in your own backyard. Welcome to the Rent to Retirement Podcast, your resource for passive real estate investing and retirement strategies. If you're new to real estate or planning your financial future, you're in the right place. Join us at renttoretirement.com to find your path to financial freedom and an easy, carefree retirement. Enjoy the show. Hey, Rent to Retires, it's Adam Schrader here with another episode, and I am joined today by a generic real estate entrepreneur. He is the host of the Everyday Real Estate Investor Podcast, and that is Ben Nelson. Ben, thanks for joining me today. Yeah, thanks for, thanks for having me here. I appreciate it. Looking forward to it. Yeah, absolutely. So we like to start off and tell people how people began um, in real estate. So tell me a little bit about what got you interested in real estate and what was the first deal you did? Yeah, so I, I, uh, I'd say what got me started in real estate and kind of thinking about it is, is what a lot of people's story is, right? There's a, there's a purple book that a lot of people talk about. <laughs> the purple uh, Bible. Yep, yep. The Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and, and kind of just that mindset change of, um, you know, being an entrepreneur and, and you know, assets versus liabilities and, and all of that stuff. And so that kind of sent me down that path. Um, and then I, you know, my first investment was, I always say it's about as small as you could do for your first deal. And, and I actually did a manufactured home in a manufactured home community that I flipped and I bought, uh, I bought that home for $2,000 and I put, I think 14 or 15 into it. And I turned around and sold it for about 40. Um, and, you know, from there, it just, it just, I, you know, that's maybe not the biggest deal, but for me, that was like, okay, this, this makes sense. And I can, I can <laughs> take this and, and go forward from there. So, you know, about, a, I don't know if you can get much smaller than $2,000 manufactured home for your first deal, but um, that was mine. So two, two or three questions off of that is, sure. Number one, what made you feel com comfortable or even at least not uncomfortable enough to not do it to dive into a manufactured home and then to actually decide I'm going to do rehab on this, even though I'm assuming at that point in time, you'd never rehabbed a manufactured home before. So how did you find it? And then how did you decide to move forward with it? Good question. So uh, how I found it is how I found a lot of those deals. And, and at the time I worked for um, a manufactured home dealer, I was doing sales for them. And so, uh, you know, a lot of times I'll show up and, you know, they're calling me to help them sell their home, but really that's not the best solution for them. And that comes out just in conversations with them and, and just trying to really understand what their situation is and what they're trying to do. And sometimes people just are in a bad spot or they're just done um, with, and they just need to move on. That's really what they need. And they need some sort of, you know, they need something firm that they know they can count on and price is not as important to them is the, is the guarantee that this is a done deal. I don't have to think about it anymore. So that's how that one happened was they called me to sell it. It came out this really, she just needed to be done. Um, and so I, you know, I had sold enough of them that I knew what it was worth putting a little bit of money into it. And so I just said, look, I can't give you a lot, but, um, you know, I can give you this. Um, and yeah, so that's, I mean, that's how it came about. And then as far as being comfortable with it, um, I, you know, I don't think I was, <laughs> you know, I think it's, it's funny because it's like, 
you know, when you're first starting out, even though that that's a, such a small deal and it's, and it's a very little risk, I think it's still an unknown when you're, when you're starting out. And anytime you step into an unknown, whether it's a small unknown or a big unknown, it's going to be a little bit scary. So, um, you just kind of have to move forward and, you know, what's the worst case scenario is it doesn't work out and I lose a little bit of money and, you know, I learn from the, the mistakes and I do something different next time. Um, and just being okay with that and, and moving forward, um, knowing that that's the worst case, but, you know, hoping for the best. Yeah. So what was your, your next step from there? Did you just kind of stay in that space for a little bit and flipping those or did you branch off into something else? Kind of what was your progression from there? Uh, yeah, yeah, I did. Uh, I did a bunch of those for um, a good amount of time. And I and actually, it's funny, because I don't even like, really focus on that anymore. And um, I still get calls. And so I'm, <laughs> I'm doing another one that and it's great, because uh, they know I'm going to turn around and sell it and make money. But they're, again, I'm solving their problem. Their problem is a time frame and, and knowing they can have the cash within a certain amount of time. They, they want me to make money on it. They've told me that. Um, so I don't, I don't really, I don't really advertise that I do those anymore, but just people know me and they, and they call me. And so I'll, I'll do it every once in a while. But um, yeah, I probably did, you know, 40 or 50 of those. Um, finally learned that usually it doesn't make a lot of sense to uh, uh, actually do the work. It actually makes more sense to get it at a price that makes sense and, and then just turn around and, and kind of wholetail it. Uh, so I've done more of that um, recently than actually doing the work. Um, and then from there, it just, you know, branched out into some small development and single family homes, mostly at this point, um, couple partitions. Um, you know, I always do value add whatever I do for the most part, unless I can, you know, turn around and just make some money as is. And that makes more sense. Yeah. So how did you know it was time to move on? Did you just get bored of it? Did you, you know, start researching other things? How did you know it was time to, to switch away and go into a different, different avenue? Yeah. Uh, a couple things, I think, I think just, uh, gaining that confidence that, Hey, I can translate this to single family or multifamily and, you know, it's all the same. It's just bigger, you know, for the most, for the most part, it's the same. There's obviously some, some nuances, that you have to learn when you step into a, a slightly different um, aspect of the business. But I think just the confidence. Um, and then the other thing, honestly, I don't like selling stuff. And all of these were in, you know, have been in those manufactured homes are in um, communities where the land is leased. Most of them don't let you rent them out. Um, or I don't all of them still because I would have made a lot more sense. Um, and so I got kind of tired of selling them. And getting caught in this. I only have one exit strategy. Um, it's a little, it's a little nerve wracking when you only have one way to get out <laughs> of a, of a deal. So, um, it was a combination of those things and just kind of wanting to scale up and just bigger things, being able to do more with, um, you know, actual real estate. Yeah. So you mentioned you focus now on value add single family, multifamily. When you look at a property, you know, obviously, you know, we operate in the turnkey space, so it's a lot easier to say, okay, this is my price. This is what it's going to rent for this, that, and the other. How do you go about evaluating property that you're looking to, to do a value add on? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think everyone has to have that kind of their own, their own formula that they're working off of and, and that works for them. Um, mine is tough in a competitive market because for the most part, I don't want to park my cash. 
Um, I want to keep my cash working for me. So I, I like to find deals where I can, you know, get into it, put in that value add and I can turn around and refinance um, back that capital back out so I can go and, and repeat that. Um, so you're, you're classic bird, right? You're, you're buying, rehabbing, you're renting it out and then you're, you're recapitalizing. Um, and so, um, you know, that's really like, I know that's a super basic answer, but that's really what I'm looking at from like an overall numbers standpoint is can I get my capital or at least the majority of it back out so I can go and repeat that process. I'm, I'm in acquisition phase. I'm not in park my cash phase. So <laughs> Yeah, always you should always be in acquisition mode, in my opinion, whenever yeah, it comes very to true. Yeah. So are you just investing around your local area or have you are you branching out and going across the across multiple states or across the country or what do you what do you look at in that regard? Yeah, cur- currently uh, mostly local. I I definitely have markets that uh are intriguing to me that uh that I will step into, just haven't quite yet. Um, you know, some of the markets that you guys work in um for sure are, are on the radar. Um, I have done out-of-state investing, and I don't know if we want to go there or not, but uh, years and years ago, I, I dabbled in, in some Midwest markets, and uh, it, it did not go well, but I learned uh, some pretty valuable lessons doing that. I actually swore I would never buy anything out-of-state again, um, but but finally uh, kind of came back around to like that it makes sense, right? Um, invest, you know, the real estate guys always say, you know, live where you want to live, but invest where the numbers make sense, right? And that that's... Uh, it could be different for everybody because different markets produce different results. Um, and so figuring out what you want investing to do for you and then matching that with the market is, is super important versus just buying in your own backyard. Yeah. So as you're considering moving into, you know, different states, different markets, what are some of the things that you're looking at as you're vetting out the specific markets that you're considering, especially having had a bad initial, um, you know, <laughs> venture into it. What are you doing differently this time to make sure that you don't repeat history? Yeah, great question. So uh, a couple things, I think from um, a success standpoint and where, where I fell short uh, when I, when I did it the first time uh, is it really comes down to the team. I mean, the team is the, especially if you're going to be hands off, which you are, you should be anyway, in my opinion, even if you own local, I don't manage my own properties. I have a property manager. Um, but even more so, I think when you're when you're out of the area, you rely on your team to be to be honest, to be effective, um, to be giving you good information. Um, and and we weren't getting that. You know, we were we were lined up with someone that uh, you know just after we had gotten into a couple of investments, we figured out you know they were they were telling us what we needed to hear to move forward on a deal so that they could get a deal and get a rehab and and all of these things. Um, not so we could get a good long-term investment. Um, and so I think really vetting the team, having a good, reliable, honest team is, is the number one. Um, and then as far as finding markets, you know, you, there's so many markets that can get on fire in a short amount, you know, for the short term. And you look at some of the, like the, Iowa, the um, Idaho mountain uh, markets, um, the Idaho markets, they were on fire for, a long time. And I mean, everything was really hot for a while. Um, but those are some of the hardest hit markets right now because it was, there was no, there was no real, there weren't any drivers behind it really. Um, people were just moving there to get, you know, away from 
the West. The driver was leaving California or whatever. What's that? The the environment, the driving factor was leaving California. Right. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And that by itself is not enough. And there's, there's a lot of instances over history where you can look and see those short lived, you know, bursts in the market. And then you get left holding the bag if you're investing in those markets long-term. And so looking for sustainable drivers, where are people moving to, and have they, has that trend been continuing? Is it gonna is it gonna continue? Is there job growth? Are people, you know, moving there for, um, you know, jobs that are there? You know, why are they moving there? Um, and if something changes, so like what happened in um, in Idaho, a lot of people moved there from like you mentioned California, right? But they could keep their California jobs and their their income there, and then because you know COVID and and a lot that became really. Um, you know, people were working remotely a lot more, uh, kind of forced that issue. And then, you know, if they lost that job and they couldn't replace it with a local job, then then they have to move back, right? Or, or things like that, because um, those local jobs can't support that. Um, so there's long-term sustainability, r- real drivers, um, you know, why are people moving there and, and is it going to sustain itself? Yeah. So as you're going around, you know, you mentioned the value add stuff. What are some of the big things you're looking for as you're initially looking at a property where you say these are the big drivers of value that are going to allow me to be be able to pull out my cash later? Like, is there a specific, you know, criteria that you, I'm assuming there is? Otherwise, you'd probably be broke by now. Um, <laughs> what's your criteria for saying, OK, I can add enough value because of this? Yeah. Um, I mean, initially I think it's just, it's just, I, you know, really knowing your market and, and knowing what value is for the product that you're, that you're looking at. And then, um, you know, I, I I guess maybe this doesn't fully answer your question, but I'm always looking for the most part, cosmetic aspects, you know, I'm not, I'm not, you know, fixing a foundation not generally. I'm not doing what, well, yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, cause that adds, adds risk and it adds time frame, and it's a lot harder to, um, there's a lot more pitfalls potentially. And so you have to be a lot more conservative with your numbers. And, and I'm, I mean, honestly, I'm just not really set up for that. So, but going in and, and doing some cosmetics and, um, just, you know, just knowing what the market is going to bear and what it's looking for. Um, you know, now I've moved into doing more partitions and some small development and things like that. And so kind of my, you know, general rule of thumb of, if if I'm going to look at something closer is, you know, if you can, if you can do something to the property to get a couple extra lots out of it and you can maybe rehab what's there and, you know, get most of your investment back by just reselling that, existing property usually usually it works even though there's going to be you know site improvements and all that stuff with the city um usually it's worth taking a closer look at so that's kind of what i'm looking at now when i'm looking at smaller developments okay now you mentioned started in manufactured homes and flipping those now you're doing value add stuff you're hosting your real estate podcast where i'm sure you speak to people all across the the space and learn about what they're doing um, I mentioned to you, I wanted to talk about this beforehand. You had an episode come out not that long ago talking about the shiny object syndrome. It is incredibly easy 
to hear these stories. You know, you mentioned hearing podcasts where people get a hundred doors in six months or they create a financing and do this or they do that. How have you been able to stay in your lane and not venture off and take as many exit ramps as possible because you might get an extra two, three, four percent return if you go down that route? Yeah, you know, as an entrepreneur, I think that's that's the that's the key question because you know most entrepreneurs we're, we're opportunists, right? And so if you see opportunity, it's hard to not go down that road. And so I think it just takes discipline in, in saying no, learning how to say no to opportunity, because you have to say, you can only say yes to a certain number of things. That said, um, you know, it's a process for a lot of people, right? You have to kiss a lot of frogs sometimes, you know, as I say, <laughs> you, you try different things. You don't know what's going to resonate with you necessarily in the space. There are so many different ways you can go about real estate investing, which is great, but it's that double-edged sword, right? Of there's so many ways I can do this. It's awesome, but it's also, it could also be very distracting. Um, but yeah, you have to, yeah, you kind of have to try some different things, right? You, you have to, okay, do I like wholesaling? Well, that looks a lot different than doing rehab, doing the rehabs. That looks a lot different than doing some small development. That looks a lot different than syndication, right? They all have different you're talking to different types of people, your, your day-to-day -day looks different. Um, and so there's a lot of things to consider, but I think it, it a lot of times takes trying different things to figure out what actually resonates with you and, and, you know, hone that in. Were there any things you considered outside of, uh, you know, as you were transitioning away from your initial one, did you consider any other avenues outside of value add and why did you end up at value add? Um, yeah, I mean, I've for me again. I think just being in acquisition mode and just um, uh, wanting to recycle my capital, um, I, I'd say that that was just a, a natural progression for me. Um, but I, I will also say that 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 leads directly into well, I, I you know I've only got so much capital um, for myself, so how do I go out and buy more? And so you just kind of start looking at things like syndication and raising capital and, and things like that to involve more investors that maybe have, um, they don't have the time or the expertise that, that I may have, but they have the capital that they want to put to work. And so I think that that's another thing that I, I you know, I guess I, you could say I, I've considered, but I, I definitely will, will be doing and, and am doing um, just, uh, you know, it's kind of that next step for me. Now, you mentioned, you know, doing syndications and getting other people's money for that. You know, that is a whole different venture in and of itself from the value add. So how did you get enough confidence or what point in time did you get enough confidence that even asking for other people to pitch in money towards capital, you know, was an option for you or was something you were comfortable doing? Yeah, another great question. Um I think it just comes down to, you know, looking at enough deals and making sure you really understand how to underwrite and, and um, find opportunity and having confidence in that. And then I think the other piece is, you know, people get, and, I, and I'm not saying this is never me either. It's sometimes it's a mindset thing, you know, well, I'm asking someone for their money. That's just, it's weird, right? You know, just people get weird about asking for money, but when you think about it, 
you're really providing a service to somebody because if they have their money in the bank, now granted it's better than it was, you know, a couple of years ago when they were getting what half a percent or something like that in the bank, you know, uh, but you know, they could be doing more with their money. They're probably looking for options to get a better return. And if you can provide that for them, you're actually offering them a service um, and you're helping them rather than looking at it like, well, I need them to invest in my deal. So my deal can get funded. That's true. But spinning that on, uh, you know, on the other side and and saying, well, I'm serving them. How can I serve them? I can give them this you know, I can match their funds to this deal and they're going to get a great return on it. Um, I think that kind of flips that switch on the mindset piece and kind of getting over that. Yeah. So do you have a favorite metric that you look at whenever you're evaluating deals? Like if there was, if you had to make a deal based on one metric, I um, mean, you know, that was your first thing and you're throwing out everything that didn't meet that one metric, what would it be? Gosh, again, that's what, so are, are we talking, uh, you know, flips or developments or <laughs> what piece of it? Uh, let's, let's go with your, let's start with the flips. Kind of what is the, the metric you're looking for there? Prime, you know, like the first thing off the bat. Yeah. Again, I think, I think, you know, I hate to go back and, and kind of give you the same answer, but I think for me, um, you know, for the most part, I want to keep stuff now. So I'm looking at, um, and, and I think the numbers are relatively the same now that I think about it. Um, you know, if I can buy something and put money into it and I'm in it for 70 to 75% uh, of what it's worth uh, after I'm done, that to me, that to me, there's multiple things I can do with that. I can sell it and make money. I can probably refinance it and, and at least cover the payment. Um, and so I think going back to why... I, or a part of why I didn't want to continue doing so many manufactured home flips, having a couple different options for an exit is, is a big plus to me. And so I think that that's kind of, you know, where I'd like to land so I can, okay, I, I can refinance. I can, I can sell it. I have a few different options here that I can explore when I get to the end. So I usually have one that I am leaning towards getting into it, but having a backup option is always good. Yeah, I always tell people to know their exit strategy before they go in because, you know, that's going to, I mean, that can completely change your, uh, what property you're going for if you, you know, have that's different very, Yeah, and that's a very good clarification, I guess, is that, um, you know, if you're like waffling, like, oh, I might keep it and I might sell it, um, there's, you know, you're going to set yourself up differently with your rehab and with, um, some different things with setting up your funding up front, maybe even um, for if you're going to refinance it versus if you're going to sell it. Now, you mentioned kind of when you became kind of what helped you become comfortable, you know, asking for people's money. But what are some of the things you recommend to people if they're considering, you know, giving someone money for their project? What are some of the questions they should be asking? And what are some of the signs that tell them, yes, I should or start running for the hills? Yeah, that's, that's another really good question. So, um, you know, track record is, is a big thing. Um, so have they, have they done what they're saying they're going to do? Have they done it before? Um, or is this their first go? You have a lot more risk if you're, if you're starting, you know, putting your money in with a, a new syndicator. Now, 
they could be they could be the main sponsor but have a great partner that's very experienced too so you know there is that possibility if they have a really good team um to make up for maybe some of that experience on on their end um but that's the biggest thing is do you know can they demonstrate a track record in the market and in the product that they're in and the strategy that they're trying to um pitch as, as a deal to you um those are kind of the main the main three all right. So in your opinion, um, what, where is the real estate market one year from now? I kind of feel like we've hit a point <laughs> where interest rates are what they are. You know, they've been this way for a long time. People keep saying high interest rates, but in reality, I mean, we've been here for, you know, a year, yeah. so maybe even longer at this point in time. So it is what it is, but what do you see coming over the next year? Okay. Let me shake off the crystal <laughs> ball here. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, this is, it's a, it's a hard question to answer, obviously, because we're looking toward the, to the future and trying to predict something, but I will say, you know, it drives me crazy when people point to one metric and they say, oh, this is, you know, the housing market's going to crash, you know, and, and oftentimes it's, you know, uh, prices have never been this high before, so they can't possibly go higher. Well, okay. People said that for every forever. decade, forever, <laughs> You know, and and here we are, and they're and they're more than they were. So, yeah, are there dips in the market here and there? Sure, we saw that a lot the second half half of last year. In most markets, they 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 dipped, and then you know what happened this first half of this year? A lot of them came back. So, very quick market cycle. You know, in the last twelve to to eighteen months. Um, you know, I I I always point. I just point to the fact that we are so short on supply. Uh, as a, as a country, we are, you know, 5 million plus housing units short. Um, we, yes, we have higher interest rates. And so that has to, we have to work that out with affordability. Um, but I just, I, we have an inventory problem and, and that's going to continue to, um, push housing prices up. Is there a breaking point with interest rates? Of course. Um, but they've somewhat stabilized ish. Uh, yeah. in this, in this, you know, six high sixes to seven. And I think that that's what the market was holding off on la the second half of last year. Number one, it moved so quickly. Right. Um, and number two, it was super volatile. So now that we've found kind of a, you know, this is where we're going to be. Uh, I'm, you know, I, I'm a broker as well here in the, in the Portland metro area. Um, and I'm, I'm as busy as I've been <laughs> in a long time. Um, so Buyers are out there. I mean, the market is still continuing to move. And yeah, it's challenging with interest rates, but there's tools um, to deal with that. Um, and they'll, they'll come down again at some point, not to 3%, but <laughs> probably, uh, yeah, probably not. I guess you, you can never say for sure, but so yeah, I see, I mean, to answer your question, I guess I see, uh, you know, I, I think we're going to continue to see um, price appreciation and, and, solid markets, um, not 20 to 25% year over year, but, you know, back down to our kind of normal four to 5%. Yeah. All right. So what market outside of Portland, um, are you most excited to either invest in or consider investing in right now? Uh, yeah, I, I, you know, I'd have to say, um, a couple of the Florida markets for sure. I really like Jacksonville a lot. Um, I think there's a lot of opportunity there. I really like 
Tampa. I'm I'm trying to make sure that it's a that it's uh you know market driven and not emotional, but because <laughs> I just you know to be fair, I've only been there in the winter, so um you know that's my that's my experience there. But I love it there; it's beautiful, and uh, but I think it's a strong market as well, and and there's a lot happening, and um a lot of those markets down there. I mean, there's people moving to Florida like crazy, um, and you can't you know. You got to look at those individual markets. You can't pick a state, right? Because yeah, every market's down to the neighborhood. But um, I really like a lot of those markets. Um, I think uh, I think Atlanta has a lot of opportunity, also, and that's definitely not the only ones. But those are the ones I've been looking at. All right, fantastic. And so, you know, we talked about your first deal, about kind of the win that happened there. But do you have a any big wins or big losses that you want to you know tell to the listeners? <laughs> Oh boy. The failure question, huh? I could, <laughs> uh, you said you did give, you gave me the option to be fair. You said big wins <laughs> or big losses. So we'll take so, you know, <laughs> one, one or both. Uh, let's see. Um, I was, I would I'm going to pick the failure option just cause I think you learn, you learn more from your failures. Um, I've had a lot of good wins, but, um, you know, a few years ago, that's actually been longer than that now, maybe five or six years ago, I bought um, a commercial, it was a single family home, but it was zone, zone commercial um, in, in a downtown um, here in the area. And uh, I did not underwrite the deal. I didn't, it was, it was outside of what I had normally done. And, and I bought it. And it was the worst mistake that I ever made. And we ended up, uh, I, you know, I sat on the property for about a year um, while it bled me. And, and ultimately, we ended up selling it for, for um, probably a 20, 25% loss uh, from what we had paid for it. Um, and, you know, the, my, my biggest things that I learned on that were, um, so the, the problem was, is I, you know, number one, I, I hadn't done a deal in a while. And so... I was just looking to do a deal that is you. It's better to pass on a deal. deal. It's a bad reason to do a deal. Like I haven't done a deal in a while. I need to do a deal. And so you just, you justify things that you shouldn't justify. So that was, that was number one. Number two, I had, I had no, I didn't, well, I didn't really underwrite it very well myself. I just was kind of like, I, there's opportunity here. I'll figure it out, you know, after the fact, well, that's not the right order to do that in. Um, But it was an easy deal it was an easy deal. The seller financed it for me with a, with a chunk down, um, which is the chunk that I lost. Uh, <laughs> but it was easy, right? It was like, Oh sure. Yeah. Here, come up with this cash and I'll carry the note for you for a little bit while you figure out what you're going to do. And, you know, um, you know, I had no outside vetting of any kind. I had no lender vetting the deal for me. I had no outside investors questioning it it was just a handshake with the seller saying, yeah, I'll finance it. Cause you're giving me enough security that I don't really care if you, if it works for you or not, you know, um, because I've got enough security in it that if you do fail, I'm going to take the property back and resell it. So I'm covered. Um, and I'm not saying that was their mindset, but, um, you know, I, I just didn't spend the time and due diligence that I could have. And it was, it was an easy deal when I wanted a deal. And sometimes that's not a good thing. <laughs> Absolutely. So the website is uh, benjacobnelson.com. I want to give you a minute here to plug anything you'd like. Tell us a little bit about what you're doing and how people can, you know, 
get in, get in touch, get in touch or get involved in the deals. Awesome. Yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, yeah. On, on my website, uh, you can actually get a copy of the chapter. I was, uh, wrote a chapter in the book, uh, success habits of super achievers. You can get a copy of that there. Um, learn a little bit more about kind of my journey, which we've talked about a lot of it, um, on the show. Um, and then they, they can reach out to me through the website as well, um, to, you know, just connect. And I, I, I always love talking to investors, you know, we're, we're always looking at opportunities and, um, you know, on the, on the, syndi- I'll just kind of throw a, on the syndication side of it that we're delving into one of my, uh, part of my heart behind that and, and behind the show actually is, um, you know, a lot of those things are, uh, earmarked for people that already have a lot of money, right? They're already, they're accredited investors. You know, we've talked about before the show, there's a lot of podcasts out there talking about owning thousands of units. And, you know, there's a lot of people that maybe they aren't not an accredited invest, investor. Maybe they're, uh, you know, maybe they're just looking for their first property. Um, and so kind of that's, that's, that's who we want to involve. And that's who we want to connect with is, you know, people that are, um, you know, maybe not quite there yet. They're not an accredited, accredited investor, but they want to get involved in some of these deals. Well, some people, a lot of people don't let them, they only work with accredited investors. And so we don't want to exclude that. Um, and then the show again, just, Hey, we're all everyday people out there doing stuff. Um, you know, that's kind of the heart behind that as well is, is you can be, um, involved in a lot of other things. You can be an everyday person. You don't have to be necessarily, um, you know, this big real estate mogul, um, you can be, Hey, go out and buy a property a year, go buy a couple properties you'll be better off for it. So. Fantastic. Well, Ben, again, thanks for joining us. The website is benjacobnelson.com. That's benjacobnelson.com. If you want to get a hold of us, you know where to go. That's renttoretirement.com. We talked a bit today about some of the markets that uh, Ben enjoys, but if you want to see what uh, Zach is recommending, his top 20 markets to invest in in 2023, you can email podcast at renttoretirement.com. We'll get that sent over to you. That's podcast at renttoretirement.com. Really appreciate the time you spent educating yourself today. And we'll talk to you on the next episode.